Good morning. Hey, before we jump in, all of you here broken here, put your hands together and welcome those join us at the other campuses and uh, those online today. Uh, Dylan in Texas, we welcome you today, bro. Maria from Montana. Uh, we got friends in Virginia, New York, Michigan, Kazakhstan. Welcome today. Honduras, Egypt, just to name a few, we welcome you to Battle Creek Church online uh, today. Now, if you have not been with us, we've been in a series we're calling Giants. And what we're talking about is the giants in the land that all of us face. And, And there's no one that doesn't face some sort of a giant at one point in their life or another. And many of the things we've been talking about are the things that we, we you and I, have to go toe-to-toe against on a regular basis in our lives. And, and the giant I want to tackle today is what I'm calling the giant of the future. We, we, we all have uh, a future that we have to live with, right? And we all have uh, standards that we have set that we want to live up to. And we all have dreams and hopes that are out there uh, one day. Uh, but, but the enemy wants nothing more than for us to, to check out on our future. And, and when we see this giant, sometimes we, as the children of God, think that he's there to help us. We, we, we think that he's going to help us. We, we confuse anxiety and uncertainty with some sort of a plan. And, and if we worry about or we think about our future long enough, then somehow we will ultimately be ready for it. And, and what some of you do is you play out worst case scenario on a regular basis, thinking that that's a helpful process. And, and instead, what that does is hinder you, but because what it does is actually increase the trauma. And the goal of this giant is not to prepare you. The goal of this giant is to petrify you, to get you so scared that you actually don't do anything. Your enemy knows that you are a danger. In fact, look, look at the person beside you and say, you're dangerous. And some of you are like, I know, right? But, 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 but you, you are dangerous. Your enemy knows that about you. He's actually afraid of you. If you think about this and play this out in your head, uh, David was not the underdog when he went against Goliath. He was not the underdog. When he went up against Goliath, Goliath was the one with the disadvantages, right? He was big and powerful, but he was bulky and slow. And so what did David do? He used the disadvantages against him. He took his sling and he used his speed and he took aim and he took him down. And what did Goliath do? When you read the story of David and Goliath, what is it that Goliath did? The only offense he had was to uh, scream and yell. That was it. And to tear David down like a roaring lion is what the Bible says, like a roaring lion. You you see, Goliath was the real underdog, and I think he actually knew it. But the only thing he could do was walk out every day and talk trash to to the Israelites. And he did it well, actually. He did it to the point where they were scared stiff. They couldn't even move for 40 days, the Bible says, that that this giant kept them from realizing the victory that was theirs and that had already been promised to them and and had already been given to them. And they were stuck in their past and could not move into their future. Now, you might think after that great victory, David, you know, slayed Goliath and everything was smooth sailing. He he killed the giant and everyone loved him, right? And, And you fast forward and he's now taking down and defeating enemy after enemy after enemy. But there's a big span between those things. And in that big span, things did not go so great for David. Right after David, right after David killed Goliath, he had an even deadlier enemy to face. Right after he took his place as the hero of Israel, he was stabbed in the back by the very one who could make his life incredibly miserable. 
Right after slaying his giant, there was an even bigger giant, the giant of an unsure future. And, and hear me, church, it's often after a big high that we experience a depressing low. It's usually after we do something great for God that the enemy comes in with discouragement and accusation, and, and that's the way he does it. Listen, and what he does in that moment is he'll, he'll scream and sometimes he'll whisper into our ears, you're not good enough. I know what you did. You don't remember what, what you did? And he will criticize us and he will tear us down. And that's how it works. There's a lot of territory covered in each of these chapters in 1 Samuel. In chapter 16, God told David he would be the next king. It's not the next day that you turn into chapter 17. It's actually a long, long, long time. By the way, what has God told you that has yet to come to pass? You should ponder that on a regular basis. You should think through that on a regular basis. You should pray about that on a regular basis. But you mark this down, de delay does not equal denial for the child of God. It does not equal denial. You, you turn the page one chapter into chapter 17, David kills Goliath. One chapter later in, in verse 18, things go very, very, very bad for David. First of all, the king, Saul, who should have been uh, uh, above all people the most excited that David killed the giant, gets very jealous and gets very upset uh, uh, over David. And, and you see, uh, David, he used to come to the palace and play the harp uh, for Saul. It was like a one-man concert, right? And, and, but, but look what happens after David got all this notoriety for killing Goliath, and he shows up in that palace to play the harp in, in, in that moment. First Samuel chapter 18, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. That, that ought to catch your attention, that sentence all by itself ought to catch your attention. A, an evil spirit from God. Now, by the way, what do you do there? This is not in my notes. I'm going to go off script for a moment. Let me, let me just give you a couple of words. Now, number one is you ought to compare translations. When you come across a verse like this, you ought to go compare every translation that you can get your hand on. And by the way, they're all online. So, so you can line them up parallel next to one another and, and, and read those translations. And, and, and you will find some things about this verse that this particular translation is not great on. But, but then what you need to do is you need to look at the context. What does the context of that passage have to say? And then the third thing you do is you ought to consider what other scriptures are saying about this one scripture. And what you'll find in this case is that God is not the author of evil, that God does not tempt his children, but sometimes he does allow those things to happen. But he always will rescue the children of God. Even in this case with Saul, he's sending David in to play the harp, to lead in worship, to push back a tormenting spirit. Now the, the spirit in the Old Testament would visit. He would not indwell like he does in us after Pentecost, right? We've looked at this many times before, but let's watch it. What plays out? He was prophesying in his house. While David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Now, look at what he says. Saul had a spear in his hand. Now, that's weird when you think through that, right? I, in the middle of worship, you got a spear in your hand. You don't like the lyrics. It's too loud, right? You don't, and, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him uh, twice. Twice. Saul did this twice. You would think once would be enough. I would just say to you, I don't think anybody's throwing a spear at me twice. After the first time, they're either laying on the ground or I'm running out the door. But we ain't doing this twice. And here's what's crazy. David tells his best friend, Jonathan, who is Saul, the king's son, hey, your dad is crazy. 
He tried to kill me. And Jonathan says, no, my dad, he's not like that. And David says, well, he threw a spear at me twice. Like one time, maybe he was confused or drunk or something, but, but, but twice this played out. And Jonathan's like, you're kidding me. So, so next, what Saul does, strategy for David, is he sends David off to war. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him off and let the enemies take care of him. Look at verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. There's another one you should camp out on this week. What on earth? The, the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So what does Saul do? He sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Saul thought this, I know what I'll do. I will put him in charge of one of my units and I'll send him into Philistine territory and I will let them deal with him. He, he thought this country boy got lucky with, with, with Goliath, but I'll send him out there into battle after battle after battle and, and they will take care of him for me. But instead, according to the scripture, he was more successful, had more success. This strategy of Saul's backfired on him and he was even more upset. So what does Saul do? This is even crazier, by the way. Look, look at verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought so that she may be a snare to him, and so that he may, uh, at the hand of the Philistines, and they may be against him. I, I know, Saul said, I'll have him marry my crazy daughter. <laughs> you, you, you have to feel bad for Saul's daughter in, in, in this story, right? Her dad thought so poorly of her that he wanted his enemy to marry her. What kind of dysfunctional family is this? It sounds like the ones you watch on TV. The Kardashians and all of them, right? This is what this playing out in the Bible. And, and, and so Saul is trying to literally murder David, which by the way, just side note, we're doing these out of order chronologically. Side note, that's exactly what David did to Uriah later. You remember that? He was trying to kill Uriah. He was trying to murder him. The very wound that had been driven into him was allowed to give the enemy ground. We talked about it with Pastor Bill a few weeks ago. Remember, the very thing that you are wounded by, that someone, the enemy through someone, does to you, if you don't give that ground to God and cast your cares on him because he cares for you, the enemy will use that very wound as ground to cause you to do the very same thing to somebody else. It, 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 that ought to make us so tender to say, God, hey, I, 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 that was against me. That was not from you. That was not for me. But I can't hang on to it. I have to give this to you, God, and let the balm of, of Gilead, let the, the salve of the presence of the Holy Spirit come and do its work in and on uh, that wound. And, and, and so he's throwing these spears at David and then he's sending him out into battle to die. He, he's even giving him a headache of a wife to deal with. And, and David finally has enough. And he's like, look, look, there's, there's no future for me here in Israel. And he runs off and he goes and hides in Philistine territory. It's so bad that he'd rather be in the presence of his enemies than, than his friends. And so here's David. He, he's hated by the most 
powerful man in the kingdom. He's all alone. He's lost his friends. He's lost his family. He's lost his wife, right? What he needs is to play a country song backwards is what he needs to do, right? In in, in that moment to get his dog back, right? And everything to come running back into his life. He's on the run in a strange land. He went from my future is so bright to I don't have any idea what is going to happen tomorrow. And and what does he do? Well, he he sits down and starts strumming on the harp. I think he's going to play the country song backwards, right? And while he's strumming on the harp, he ends up writing a song. And the song he ends up writing is Psalm 34. That's the song that he writes in in, in this moment. Turn over there to Psalm 34. Let's look at it together. If we could, I'll throw it up on the TV here. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will praise the Lord at all times. Say all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless. Do you see what he's doing here? He's talking to his own self. He's talking to his soul. His spirit is rising up and saying, hey, let's worship. Let all those who are helpless, like me, take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Hear me, church. When you are facing an unsure future, the best response is to praise God. It's better than studying your problem. And it's better than focusing on your regrets. Put, put all of your attention on the one who got you this far and promises to keep you moving. Psalm 31, another one of David's psalms in verse 15, what David says is, my future is in your hands, God. That's a declaration of faith. I don't know what my future is. In fact, in this moment, it looks bleak. But what I do know in faith is it's in your hands. Too many times we focus on the negative and we don't see the positive. And look what David says here, at all times, at all times. That means he praises God when it's good and he praises God when it's bad. That means he praises God when he's got it all figured out and he praises God when he's just not sure. That, that means he praises God when things are really exciting and he praises God when things are a bit boring at all times, right? Past, present, and future. And hear me, God has been with you in your past. He is active in your present and he is invested in your future. And we have to get that down deep in our heart, down deep in our heart. Yes, God exists outside of time, but he is concerned with your time. And he knows that you uh, have a past that you're concerned about. He, he knows what's going on in your present, and he knows you're afraid of some aspect of your future. But he was there in the past. He's the one that directed you here today. And he is behind the scenes to work amazing things in your future. And as we keep reading this, there's something I want to show you, but because how we usually see God's promise, how we usually see God's promise when we face an unsure future is is this way. This is how the enemy wants to see us. This is the next three verses. And this is what the enemy does with the word of God over us. It looks like something that's been redacted by the FBI, right? (laughs) What they know about COVID, I I won't go there. What they know about the JFK assassination, right? or what they know about UFOs, or whatever, right? This is what the enemy does with the Word of God over us. And he just lets us see parts, and he lets us see fears, and shame, and troubles. And what the enemy is trying to do is to cover over God's truth about you. Why? Because it is a war of words. You have to hear me. Who is more interested in keeping you from seeing the Word of God than the devil? Who is more interested in keeping you from hearing the word of God than the devil? Who is more interested in, in, in you not declaring the truth of God over your life than the devil? The giant of the future will use these weapons against you. The, the first one he uses is fear. 
Write that down. He will use fear in in your life. The giant will whisper some sort of a fear in your ear, right? And there are so many things, so many things that we can be afraid of when it comes to the future. Fear of failure, fear of not measuring up, fear, fear of being left out, fear of missing out, right? You'll never catch up. You'll never get ahead. You'll never amount to anything, so you should just stop trying. These are the lies the enemy will use to get you afraid of your future. Today, we honored our graduates at at, at all of our campuses pre-service. And uh, look, those of you who are graduating, going off to college or going into the workplace, we we know. Those of us who are ahead of you, we we know the fears that you're dealing with. And and, uh, you need to get one more point on the ACT. How on earth are you going to do that? How could you possibly accomplish that, right? If you don't, there's no way you can pay for college. And so you you need to find a job. But I don't think you're going to be able to find a job, right? And, And if you don't have your whole future mapped out, you might as well give up and go work at Taco Bell, which is where you can get a job if you've been fired at Bronx. <laughs> Not the brightest kids at work in there. But have you tried the quesalupa? <laughs> you, you need to try the quesalupa. I, I just confess to you, this is, this is how temptation hits me. I'm watching TV and that commercial comes on with the cheese baked into the lupa, whatever that is. <laughs> Quesas, cheese, lupa, I don't know what lupa is, the bread. I Uber-eated it to my house. <laughs> I'm too freaking lazy to get up and get in the car and drive two miles to Taco Bell, so I Uber-eated two quesalupas to my house. That's like, all you want? It's all I want. It's amazing. <laughs> I ordered two more. It's amazing. And, and the cheese is actually in the bread. This is my guilty pleasure. Some of you are like, I don't even know who you are. Like, you love this fine food. I do. Taco Bell is my guilty pleasure. I love it, actually. And, and, and I said that at the creek a few weeks ago. I was speaking to all these 300 young adults at the creek. And, and Delmi, who is one of our young adults on our staff, handles missions, is Hispanic. She's from El Salvador. And, and uh, she shamed me. <laughs> like, she shamed me. Like, you don't know the first thing about Mexican food. I said, Delmi, shut up. Go try it. <laughs> Go try it. And she said, I will. A few weeks later, she texted me in Spanish, said, it's amazing. It's amazing. But, but the enemy wants you afraid of your future, like you're going to wear a hat for the rest of your life, right? And, and you're going to serve fast food. And here's, here's the irony. His own future is the one that's already sealed. When he reminds you of your past and makes you fearful about your future, you remind him of his future. He will be banished to hell forever. Amen forever and ever and ever. And so what he is doing in the meantime is trying to wreak as much havoc and damage as he can do now. But his only tool is his lying words. And he will lie about you enough that that he whispers in your ear enough that you end up afraid and frozen. He, he uses fear. The, the, the second thing he'll use is shame. He wants to use shame in, in, in your life. Shame, it, it's a lot like moss and mold. Here, here's what I mean by that. Have you ever noticed that people say shame on you, they don't say shame in you? That's because shame can only grow on you. The only way shame will grow in you is for you to give it permission day after day after day after day. 
But what the enemy will do will, 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 is well, he will throw shame on us. But God has already removed our shame, right? That's what the Word of God tells us. Isaiah uh, 40, uh, 49 verse 23 says, All who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. So why does the enemy try to put shame on us to say, you're not good enough. I remember what you did. I remember how you did. I remember you did it again. You don't, you don't matter. You, 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 you don't measure up. You've messed up too bad and you're going to mess up again and again and again. Those are the things that shame says about us. But when we hurt, when we hear those words, we need to turn to God. Shame is like mold. It grows in the dark. It grows in the dark. Now, here's a, here's a confession. I already confessed the case of lupus, so I'm on a roll. I, I hate mold. Like, I hate it. Hate it. I would rather stay at a brand-new Super 8 than a historic, expensive five-star hotel that hasn't taken care of the grout. It bothers me. Like, I want the grout to be shiny, white, clean. And don't be putting black or gray in there to trick me. I, I don't want... <laughs> any mold anywhere near anything. I hate it. I buy Clorox at Sam's in boxes and spray stuff all the time. Meredith's all the time. You're making the house smell like every time I get out of the shower, I'm spraying it. I don't want it to ever come into that place. Listen, we, we, we have to take those things the enemy is whispering to us in the dark and bring them out onto the table into the light of God's word. And when we put the light of God's word in our hearts, hear me, let me tell you what will not work. Shame growing on you. It won't work. It, it, it will not work. You put it out in the light. And what happens in the dark, the only tool it has is deception and lying in the dark. And so in the dark, he, he will whisper. And we will believe the deception. We will believe the lies of the enemy in the dark. We will believe that there's power. We will believe that the condemnation, all of those things. But when we bring it out in the light, the enemy has to scurry like a cockroach that's been discovered. And we will see it for what it really is. Let let me give you a third one that the enemy will use is is troubles. The giant of an unsure future will use your troubles against you. In fact, what he likes to do is multiply your, your, your troubles. And here's the deal. Some of the troubles in our life come from the enemy. Some are just there right? Some of them you have to go through and some you can avoid. Some we bring on ourselves, but what the enemy likes to do with all of our troubles is weaponize them and make a weapon out of them. And we're all going to face trouble this side of eternity. That's a fact. Jesus faced trouble, right? When he was on earth. And for you to think you're going to live all of your lives and never face any trouble means that you think you're better off than Jesus Christ. But the problem really is that anytime we face troubles, it's what we think, And it's the words we give audience to. What's wrong with me? Why why did I, what did I do this time? Or, and and we get down on ourselves and that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to run and hide like we're the cockroach when we're the children of God. He, he, He wants us to personalize the trouble. And he wants us to internalize our, our, our troubles, to think no one else goes through what, what I'm going through. No one handles these kind of problems except for me. God, where are you? You come through for other people. Why won't you come through for me? And, and, but I've got news for you today. Look, I, I've been here 50 years, and I've been through some troubles, and I hope to be here 50 years more, and I'll go through some more. But, but, but we all face our share of troubles, and, and you will and I will. But we are surrounded by troubles in our present, and we are dodging shame from our past. We get scared of fears 
pictures of our future, you got to remember again, God is operating outside of time. He has been there. He will be there. And he is there for you today, every step of the way. And that, that doesn't mean that the enemy is going to roll over and die. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you. It does not say that no weapon will be formed against you. It says that no weapon formed against you will stand. It does not mean he's not going to try. He will try. What that scripture means is that it will not prosper, that it will not come to anything. He will try. He will try. He will lie. He will try to blind you. He will try to deafen you. He he wants to take a sharpie to God's words and, and to God's promises. But what we have to do with God's word is wipe them clean and listen to the very words of God. Look, look at what this verse about fear actually has to say. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears from all of them. What what does that mean? The enemy's fears cannot hurt you, but they can lock you up if you listen to them over and over and over again. Instead, we need to be freed from them. And it is the Holy Spirit that will set you free. When we pray to the Lord, hear me, he will answer. You got to get it out of your head that God rarely moves today. He is on the move all the time and he is moving in your life and he wants to answer your prayer and he wants you to hear him. And we get in the mode of, well, I prayed and I hope it works. Listen, he didn't say pray and then hope and hope and hope and hope. No, he said pray and pray and pray and pray. The persistent and the consistent prayers of the righteous body of Christ will accomplish a lot in your life. Look, look, Look at verse five about shame. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Come out of the dark, church. Don't let shame grow in the dark. There is joy in the light. There is radiance in the light. Look at verse six. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved from all of my troubles. The enemy twists the word and cuts out part of it and and tells only parts of it. There is no shame in bringing things out into the light. There's only freedom and and, and love and and joy. This last Sunday afternoon, uh, Meredith and I were uh, sitting there. In fact, we were just sitting on the bed and, and, and I had a whole stack of emails to catch up on and things that my assistant had given me to read and I hadn't had a chance to read them and I was behind and and I read one story from the tell Alex email address in fact if you got a story of God's glorious freedom in your life and what God is working in your life and what he has done in your life send it to tell Alex at battlecreekchurch.com I remind you what it's not okay and it's not for you to complain send that to I don't care at battlecreekchurch.com <laughs> And by the way, those of you who want to send those complaints, I I need to forward you these emails. Because you read some of these emails, you're like, God is freaking on the move in our church. And and, and it's amazing what he is doing in people's lives. Hour and 45 minutes, we're sitting there in the bed reading these emails. In fact, we're just in tears, just, just thanking God for what he's doing in people's lives. And in some cases, we had a small part 
uh, in it and what God was doing and glory to God. And one, one of the stories I read was from a, a man named Scott Epler who attends our Owasso campus. And I, I've reached out to Scott and asked him, would he come and share uh, today? And I, I don't want you to be afraid when you send these emails. You don't have to come on this stage when, when you send the email. But Scott graciously agreed. Put your hands together and welcome Scott to the stage. And, and, and let me just ask you, if you would, to be praying, okay? And let, and let me just say this to you. You've heard me say this about myself before, that when we dive into subjects, the enemy uses that subject to, to attack me in, right? And so knowing when we go into giants that spiritual warfare is going to come on me and mine it is a revelation that that's going to happen. But, but when we bring somebody like this who, who, who is going to share a story, what the enemy wants to do is enlarge the bullseye on their back because now we put them in front of thousands of people. But, but what I'm praying God will do in this and have been praying all morning is that what God would do in this thing is just fortify the armor on him and, and on his wife and, and, and on their family and their marriage and that God would use it. In fact, I, I talked to two people after the first service who, who God already used it in their lives. And he got a chance to talk to one. And so we're, we're praying with him. In fact, what I want to say and I, uh, to, to Scott is that when you look out here and see this big crowd of people, I don't want you to see a crowd. I want you to see a family. Okay. It's a faith family. This is church. It's not an arena. This is, this is your f- brothers and sisters in Christ. So tell, tell us a bit of the story you shared with me on an email. Yeah. So uh, let me also add that that email was kind of a push moment where yeah. I felt like I should share this for years and never did. Yeah. Uh, and then that Sunday, God was telling me, now's the time. And I said, all right, God, mm. if you make it easy. It was like a minute later that you said, so we set up Tell Alex about, a, <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. Of course you did. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I've been addicted to pornography for basically my entire life. Uh, started like 11 years old. Uh, I became a Christian a year later uh, at my church then. Uh, and it was better for a little bit. Uh, but then got back worse again. Uh, I battled it all through high school, college, well into my adult life. Yeah. Uh, met my wife along the way. Uh, thought that getting married would fix the issue. Um, a lot not. of men thought that, right? A, a, a lot of people think that, that, hey, this is going to settle this issue that's a in the dark issue, that when I get married, this is going to go away. It's not true. Right. Right. Yeah, it just added shame Yeah. Uh, because now I was lying and hiding it from my wife as well. So it's just additional sin. Uh, so now I lost my place. You, you, yeah. you interrupted me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll coach you. I'll coach you back to, I do this happens to me every five minutes, every sermon. I forget where I was. You, you, you were saying that now you carried it into your marriage high school, college, now you're in marriage, you're, yes. you're hiding it from your wife, so it brought more shame in, into your life. Right, so eventually, yeah, so eventually God finally uh, came in and pushed me into what I knew I needed to do the whole time. Um, it was during one of your sermons uh, where you were talking about hidden sin and that we've got to pull it out at the root mm-hmm. and uh, confess it to other Christians. Um, and so you're talking about that. I remember we were at home for some reason on the couch, uh, don't remember why, but we're sitting there, uh, and the, the Holy Spirit starts pushing on me hard. That now is the time. It's time to confess this and let it out. Uh, and so I'm sitting there sweating and nervous. And my wife, uh, just joking around like she often does, just looked over and goes, you got anything you need to tell me? <laughs> uh, so I broke down. And started, you thought you were going to say something about a case of lupus. Yeah, yeah, something like that. 
So I, I broke down and started crying uh, and just confessed all of it and told her all of it. And I just watched his, his shock first, right? And then just like her face just like dropped of like, I married this strong Christian man and that's shattered. That's gone. Uh, so she cried for a little bit as well. Uh, and then finally she just took a deep breath and just goes, what do you, what do you need me to do? Like, what can I do to help? Uh, and that amount of grace was just, I, I was not time expecting out, time, it. Time out there for just a second. What did you think you were going to experience in that moment? Anger. Yeah. I thought she was going to be mad, uh, be done with me, yeah. possibly divorce. Mm-hmm. This is it. And, and by the way, anger would be very normal and would be very natural in, in that moment. It's a work. He just, you heard him say it. And she, she agrees. It was a work of the Holy Spirit that caused her in that moment not to be angry, but to, sh- but to share grace and, and say, what can I do to help you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so fast forward, you confessed, and now you're dealing with it, right? Yeah, so we put together a plan to deal with it, uh, you know, ways to kind of help avoid temptation and things. Uh, and that worked for a while, uh, but eventually fell back into it, and that same shame that I always had just came roaring back uh, even worse. Yeah, and it felt like it was bigger at, at this point, right? So our enemy fights dirty. You just have to know that. I've been trying to, to, to say that over and over and over again. He'll isolate you. And then when you're isolated, he'll throw shame on you. He makes you doubt your future because of your past, right? And so how did you overcome your fear of the future uh, with all the what-ifs that are running through your mind? So all through that, shame and pride are a big part of what what I battle, right? And uh, just the the fear of what are people going to think when they find out? What are my friends going to think, my family? Uh, Are they going to do going to want to have anything to do with me anymore, just right. like abandon me. Uh, and that slowly turned to, uh, God's probably done with me and doesn't want anything to do with me. Uh, am I even really a Christian mm-hmm. if I deal with this? Uh, but the Holy Spirit is what always kind of pressed in. And I just was reminded, I want a relationship with him. And I know from the Bible that he wants a relationship mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought of stories like uh, Romans 7, where Paul talks about that he struggled with sin and that he does what he doesn't want to do. Right. And he wants to do what's good, but he can't. Uh, and then I thought of like the story we talked about a few weeks ago, like David and Bathsheba, who David's a man after God's own heart, and yet he struggled with similar things. Yeah. And, and so there, there was a phrase you used earlier that I want you to use again, that, that there was this conclusion that you came to through Romans 7, through David, Bathsheba, to, through all these stories that I can't, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just uh, realizing that, you know, I put plans together. I found ways to help with temptation, and those are good, but I realized that ultimately I can't do this. God can. Yeah, God can. I can't, but God can. That's the truth, right? The, the, the truth is that I am not able on my own to deal with this on a regular basis. I might get lucky every once in a while, right? But, but, but true consistency, I can't, I can't do that. But God can. And, and not only can he, he wants to in me and, and through me. So what encouragement would you give someone today who's watching or listening and, and is fighting a, a giant in the dark all, all by themselves? Real quick, can I go through some of the rest of the story of there? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, as long as you get back to the application, tell us all you want. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, back and forth, like I said, I fell back into it again. It was mm-hmm. uh, in 2018 at the fast uh, that we do every January. January yeah. yeah. Uh, so... It's the first fast I really did that was like a real fast, not just like... PlayStation. Yeah, I'm not going to watch TV, yeah. but like an actual fast. Yeah. Uh, and so I spent that week focused on 
God's word, focused on what do I need to do next? It's time to finally deal with this. What should I do? And he, he immediately answered of, I told you back then, you need to tell your community group and your church. Yeah. And back then I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. That would be awful. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I believe that that's part of where the shame came back in. I'm still hiding things. Yeah. Uh, so after that fast was over, I, I went and met some of the guys uh, in my community group and let them know. Uh, picked out one of them to be an accountability partner, uh, which is a, a strong thing that I recommend. Yeah. Uh, started doing more about how can I uh, avoid these temptations, find areas where I have habits that bring it in, as well as um, how do I handle it when I do get one anyway? Like mm-hmm. What Bible verses, what songs, what helps? Uh, and have all that planned out ahead yeah. of time. Uh, and so that's kind of where I focused but really what made the difference is accountability and, and being with biblical community. Yeah, that's good. It's really, really good. So what, what, what do you say to somebody fighting an enemy all alone in the dark today? So there's two things. The first one is what I just said, that you've got to get into biblical community. You have to have a group of people that you can be open and honest with and share life with uh, and not be afraid to talk to them about what you're dealing with, what you're going through. Um, and then the second is that uh, God can still use you. Even when I think the enemy likes to tell us that you're disqualified, you you can't be used. Uh, but God used me all through this. While I was going through the struggles, while I was still struggling with it, God was using me. I was active in the church. I was still doing things, and now here He is using me because of the struggles. Yeah, that's so powerful, isn't it? That 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 God takes what what the enemy is baiting you with and taunting you with, and, and will also flip it around to make it part of the story of victory in, in your life. Would you thank Him for sharing? It's the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The testimony is not some story you make up. It's not some fictitious life where you're pretending to have it all together. The testimony is the truth, right? When, when, when you give testimony to a court of law, you put your hand on the word of God. You lift your other hand, whatever you do. I don't know. I've never done it. But, but, but you put your hand over your heart. You do something. Spin around three times and say there's no place like home. You, but what you say in that moment. What you say in that moment is, so help me God, right? I swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth and the whole truth. And, and, and that is the declaration for a believer today. There's a reason you put your hand on the Bible when you say that, because it's the only thing that will stand is truth before the throne of God. But you put your hand on the Bible when you say the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? So, so you, you have to tell the partial truth, which is this is the valley I was in. This is the uh, lies that I believe. These are the shame that I was carrying. This is the et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the whole truth, right? The whole truth is now what God says about that, what God says over that, what God wants to set you free from. And you give the whole testimony of the blood of Jesus over whatever it is that you're walking through. That's testimony. And it is testimony that brings power into the life of the church and into the children of God. And God is listening to you. And and he hears all about all of your troubles. And by the way, he already knows, but he loves it when you bring those problems to him. And here's what you got to know. He will save you from them, all of them. That's what he wants to do. So, so what do we do? How do we walk into victory, in, into the future in our lives? We'll, we'll take a look at what David did. He was running. He was all alone. He was betrayed by everyone. And in that moment, he chose to praise 
God. And let's see what happens after these verses that we just looked at over there that were redacted. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. You got to taste this, right? This is an experiential thing. You don't read about taste. You, You have to experience taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. You, you, you as a child of God should fear the prompting of God and you ignoring it. Because he's wanting to set you free. He's wanting to give you a path to victory. He's wanting to lead you. And you, you, you should fear the Lord. So in awe of him that he has all of you. You godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. I've confessed this to you many times. There there are days where I get cross-wired and I'm thinking about things and I'm wrestling with things and and, and get confused or get upset. And by the way, it's easy to happen in our culture. You got information coming at you at every direction and from every angle. And sometimes they're conflicting opinions, right? There's no way they can both be true. They're they're mutually exclusive. And it's just coming and coming and coming. But I always come back to this one truth. I literally will say it out loud. Good God, bad devil. Amen. That's it. You say that helps you? That helps me tremendously. When I go back to that truth, everything else seems to fall back into place. And and, and what some of you need to do today is you need to taste and see that God is good. You've never done that before. You've been and you've read all about it. You've heard about it. You've watched other people sing about it and give testimony about it and declare it. But you've never tasted yourself. You've avoided him. You're afraid. You're you're ashamed. And, And what I'm encouraging you to do today is to come out into the light. Others of us need to step out in faith in order to see God's goodness. He's not going to move until we move. He's not going to push himself on you. But but once you move in boldness into the future, here's what I know. He's already there. He's already there waiting on you. Even the strongest among us get weak from time to time, right? That's not the point. The point is not for us to bat a thousand every time. The, The point is to put all of your trust in and on God. And let him supply all of your needs. So I want to lead you in in a prayer today. The first one is a prayer of salvation. For those of you who are here today and you've never tasted that the Lord is good. And today could be the day of salvation for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer one phrase at a time. You repeat it out loud after me. If you want to trust Christ, you want to give your life to Jesus. Just right where you're seated, right where you're watching online. Would you just pray and say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I put all of my faith in you. I receive your forgiveness. I receive salvation. And I receive you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Now, before we say amen, before we look up, let me just say, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart, congratulations. 
Would you, would you let us know that today? Let, let us know that today. Take that, that card out of the seat pocket in front of you and, and fill it out. And then check that box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. On your way out, drop it in a bucket. If you're watching online, click that, that button that says, raise my hand. Or just write into the comments, I prayed the prayer. Somebody will know where to take it from there and they'll help you. But we want to know about it. We want to encourage you in, in your newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to help you take the next steps that come after that. For, for the rest of us, I want to lead you in this progressive prayer that we, we've been praying. And I just want you, if you would, at every campus, just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet, if you would. And I, I, I want you to repeat after me as I walk you down the next couple of steps of this prayer. Would you just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me ears to hear you today. Thank you that you're always working. And you are always trustworthy. You are good. You are faithful. You are secure. You are my firm foundation. Father, I confess and reject any and every fear in me or shame that has been put on me. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am your child. I am loved. I am chosen. I am created for your purpose and your glory. I choose today to declare the truth over my life and my circumstances. Your word is true. It applies to my life every day. I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. I believe that you will finish the work you have started in me for your glory. You are equipping me with everything I need to do your will. I'm confident, Lord, that you are always with me. In Jesus, I have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide me and to counsel me. I look to you, Lord. I depend on you, Lord. And I surrender my desire to you. I trust you to direct my steps as I seek you and I listen to you. Thank you, Lord, that you never change. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, I choose to praise you. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you thank him today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.